0: My family and I we love finding places off the beaten path all over North Georgia. And several years ago we found this little waterfall in, in Dallas and others knew about it, but for us it was this great discovery. And we love coming out here and and, and picnicking and, and just kinda enjoying the time in, in the outdoors. And one of the things that really struck us on the on the way to this waterfall along the path, there's a there's a graveyard. And it's a graveyard full of, of headstones from back before the time of the Civil War and even during that time, and it's amazing to think about the the stories that that each one of these headstones represent. We couldn't help but be struck by some of them that uh, are the graves of children. In fact, there are more than half a dozen infant graves in this graveyard, and some of them are even marked with children who were born and died on the same day. What do you say to someone who's lost a child? What do you say to anyone going through their most difficult times? There's a a lie that we love saying to each other during these moments, and in fact, it's it's a very comforting thought in some ways. It sounds like a Bible verse, but it's not the truth that God really wants us to know during these difficult times. We want to discover what God's truth really is today. You know, I have presided over funerals where the casket was just a little bit bigger than a bassinet. I've watched as a grandparent of mine who served the Lord faithfully for over four decades got to the end of his life and forgot most of those four decades as he dealt with dementia. I've been in a room with my best friend's wife and helped her pick out a casket for him, the one that we felt like he would have chosen only for a few days later to be moving that casket out of this room with myself on one end and Pastor Brian on the other as we moved it on towards its final resting place. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being in those moments and wanting to, to try to figure out the perfect thing to say. There's nothing wrong with being in those moments and, and trying to understand God in those times and, and trying to come up with maybe the, the perfect phrase. And so occasionally we think we have one. And, And maybe you've said this phrase, I'm I'm sure that I've said it, maybe it's been said to you in a moment of great trial or great pain or in the middle of overwhelming circumstances, someone has come up to you and and they've put their hand on your shoulder and they've looked at you and they've said, listen, God will not give you more than you can handle. I mean, it's very poetic. It sounds like a beautiful phrase, it kind of rolls off, It, it sounds like a Bible verse, but it's not. It's a lie. I don't know when perhaps it was the first time you heard that or who said it to you first. I, I don't know who told you that. But I can tell you that it's not a lie that's told maliciously. It doesn't have any kind of evil content, in, intent in it. In fact, the, the person is just trying to find a way to, to be encouraging in that moment. And one of the ways that we can tell that it's a lie is, is by a couple of reactions that it has. In, inside of us when someone says that to us I mean if someone walks up to you in the middle of overwhelming circumstances the most trying times they put their hand on on your shoulder and they say listen God will not give you more than you can handle your first reaction may be you just might want to punch that person right square in the face like right now like listen you have any idea what's I know you just walked in here but do you have any idea what's going on right now the second kind of knee-jerk reaction to this is, a, is another way that it lets us know that, that this is a lie and not the truth that God wants us to understand in the middle of our circumstances. And that is this, someone might walk up to you, put their hand on your shoulder and say, listen, God will not give you more than you can handle. And the thought that might come to you is, well, what's wrong with me? Because this circumstance is too much for me. And I know that this particular lie is one that, Really, some of you may have, have clung on to at a very difficult time. You may have felt like these are the, the very words of God for you, but they're not. So you may already be asking the question, well, if that's not a Bible verse, then if that's not true, if that's, if that's a lie, if that's not something God wants us to carry around with us, then then what is the truth? And I believe the truth is this, that from time to time, the purpose of God may be precisely to give you more than you can handle so that you will discover what it's like to fully rely on Him. Maybe you've lost a job at some point and and all the bills piled up and at the end of the day you you had more bills than you had money. I mean, by definition you had more than you could handle. Maybe there's been verbal or physical abuse in your past or even in your present and if you had the power to get out of that circumstance or to or to fight back against whatever is coming against you in that moment you would do it but but you can't and so by definition you have more than you could handle Maybe you have a, a child, a teenager or an adult child who's, who's walked away from you and they've walked away from God and everything you say seems to push them further and further away and, and every time you talk to them you get blank stares or you get anger in return and, and you just don't know what to say anymore and it doesn't seem like they want to have anything to do with you and so right now you feel like, you know what, this is more than I can handle. Maybe you have a sickness or you've dealt with a sickness, an illness that you have no ability to heal on your own strength and by definition you have more than you can handle and if God is sovereign and if nothing happens that doesn't first pass through his divine fingers then what is the truth how do we get to the to the heart of the truth how do we get to the core of the truth that God really wants us to understand today I think we'll get there as we unpack a couple of the places in scriptures that people typically go to to try to justify the lie God will not give you more than you can handle. So I want to look at those, a couple of those, uh, for just a moment this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, is one of those verses that's often meant to be understood as God will not give you more than you can handle, but I believe God is actually saying something else entirely in this verse through the author, the apostle Paul, and it's a powerful truth in its own right. He says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide for you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, this verse is the one that's most common. Is even as I threw it out to some friends this week saying, hey, have you, have you heard this lie before? Or do you think, well, yeah, that's in the Bible. And isn't it, doesn't Paul talk about that? And this is the verse a lot of people come to. This verse uh, about temptation. It's not a verse about circumstances. Rather, it's a verse about temptation and sin. And honestly, it sounds like something my kids would say. Especially because they have siblings. In fact, I'm sure they have both said it at one point or another. Listen, Dad, Mom... I can't help but sin, and it's not my fault because no one else has him for a brother. God gave him to me, and it's this is like this is awful, this is horrible circumstance, and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be sinning right now, right? No temptation is given you such but what is common to man. No one else understands what I'm faced with, maybe you feel like. There are times when we find ourselves blindsided by our circumstances in the wrong place at the wrong time and maybe say, I just couldn't help it. There was nothing I could do. I mean, she threw herself at me or they left the money on the table. And and listen, I had no choice, but I had to sin. The challenge with this is this. We have to be careful we don't dance too close to the ledge before falling off in the first place. And anyone who thinks they can intentionally approach sin and, and somehow withstand it is fooling themselves. But if we would consider the actual truth of this verse, just a little bit differently, I think we would discover something really powerful, and that is this: There's some of you here today. You're uncomfortable even being in a in a worship center. You're uncomfortable being on this church campus today because you feel isolated and alone because of how dark you feel like your sin is. I mean, you wouldn't dare confess it. You feel like it's too surprising. It's too dark. It's too much for the church to handle. I've, I've talked with people many times over the years who, who have gone to them in a, in a counseling situation. They've approached me and they've said, listen, you just don't understand. This is too much for you. I mean, you're a pastor after all. I mean, you don't ever hear these things. You don't ever have to deal with these things. You don't ever struggle with these things. And, and many times I want to say to them, listen, and I don't mean this in any type of arrogant way, but you can't tell me anything that I haven't already heard. But here's the truth of this. You can't say anything that someone else hasn't struggled just like you. There is someone else on the planet who could say to you, me too. And I can tell you this about God. He has said, if you will confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how dark or how isolated you feel today. I can tell you the grace of God is greater than that thing today. And the truth is that there's a God who loves you no matter what. And his purpose may be to have your sin revealed so that you can learn that he will forgive it. Your sin may have overwhelmed you to the point that it is more than you can handle, but I'll tell you this, it's not more than God can handle and it's not greater than his grace. There's another verse that people like to point to with this phrase, God will not give you more than you can handle and it's found in Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this is a great verse. There's, there's great truth here, but it's, it's not that God will not give you more than you can handle, but rather there's something else powerful contained in what the Apostle Paul is writing here. First of all, what does it mean that all things will work together? Well, the Greek word that's translated into two words, work together, is the word sunergeo. And it's important that we not understand that just as this verse is God's just going to work everything out. Rather, it's translated work together. Now, who's working with you? Well, Romans 8 is a passage all about the Holy Spirit of God working with us and desiring intentionally to partner with us in our lives. For the believer in Jesus, the the Spirit of God constantly reminds us that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. No matter what the world wants to tell you about your worth, about your value, the different lies it might hurl at us, the Holy Spirit says, no, you are a son and daughter of God. Just put all that other stuff to the side. This passage also talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit partners with us in prayer, doesn't just listen to our prayers, doesn't just filter our prayers, but sometimes at times when we have no idea what to pray, the Holy Spirit of God actually prays on our behalf. In another one of his letters, the Apostle Paul says that God, who began a good work inside of you, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul is saying in Ephesians, he says, listen, God has already got the end in mind, a definitive end that he is working with you towards. I want you to know there's a powerful truth in this verse, and that is this. God has an incredible plan to partner with you in your life. You've been called according to a purpose, and if you will partner with him and surrender to him every day with a spirit of obedience, the spirit of God will be with you to bring his purposes about. It's an incredible truth that God himself wants to partner with you every single day, but it does not mean that God will not give you more than you can handle. In fact, there may be moments where the purpose of God may be precisely to give you more than you could ever handle on your own. Say, why would God do such a thing? That doesn't seem right. I mean, it doesn't seem fair. And if the opposite is true, then, that God actually does give us more than we can handle, then for what purpose? Well, there's a story in the book of John of Jesus walking through Jerusalem with his disciples and they walk past a blind beggar, a man that's been born blind, that was born blind. And this beggar's in the same spot every day. I don't know how long he's been there and and I don't know who brings him there, how he gets there, if he ever leaves the place. But if you walk this path to the market or if you walk this path to work, you would would see and hear this man calling out every day for help. His, His ability to even be able to eat every day is totally dependent on the charity of others. By definition, he has more than he can handle. And so the disciples of Jesus, as they're walking by, they ask Jesus a question. They say, Rabbi, they're talking to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Have you ever been in a moment of overwhelming circumstances, of tragedy, of loss, and you've just maybe thought to, to God, God, what did I do wrong? Why is it that, I've been, why is it that I'm in this, this place today? You may have looked at someone else in their circumstances, and you may have thought, man, what did they do wrong? Wow, they must be, there must be some awful rotten sin there for everything that they're dealing with. I mean, Seriously. God is kind of evening that out. Because for ev- whenever something's going wrong, we have this idea that there must be someone at fault. I mean, the disciples asked, who sinned? Have you ever thought this? I bet my parents did it. I bet they did. Somewhere, I know they didn't tell me everything. I know they tried to paint a picture that all they did was, a, was be obedient children, but I know somewhere there was sin, and that's why I'm stuck in the mess I'm in today. Maybe, maybe you've thought, I bet my teenager did it. I'm sure they did. In fact, there's a better than average chance that my teenager sinned. And that's why God is bringing all of this circumstance onto our house today. The question is, who is at fault for this? And did do anything wrong? And Jesus has an incredible response to this. He bends over in the dust there and he spits and he makes a paste out of his saliva and he puts it on the man's eyes. And he says to him in verse seven of that chapter, he says, go, he told him, And wash in the pool of Siloam, and this word means sent. So the man went and washed, and came home seeing. Now, I love where Jesus sent him. Jesus did not have to do this, by the way. He could have. The man could have called out to him and and said to whoever, "Jesus, would would you heal me?" Not even really knowing who he is. Would you? Would you heal me? And he could have just looked to the side and casually gone, "Yeah, sure, you're healed." And they could have just kept right on walking. And the disciples have asked a different question. I mean, he could, have, he could have done countless things. He didn't even have to see the man. He knew about him. He knows about his birth. He knows about his existence. He knows about the end of his days. He could just think to himself, listen, I want him to see today. And that circumstance would be totally changed. But what did Jesus do? He did something different entirely. He spit and he sends him to the pool of Siloam. The place means scent, sentness. And he sends him to this pool. And I love it because this pool is fed by a natural spring, the spring of Gahom. And in the scriptures, if you're ever reading in the Bible and you read about living water or flowing water from a natural source, that natural spring is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's as if, it's as if Jesus said, listen, I want you to go, I want you to get a dose of the Spirit of God on you, and I, want you to be, and I want you to be sent out to tell my story and tell your story throughout everywhere you can possibly go. And that's exactly what begins to happen. People begin to look at him. They don't recognize him because they've never never seen him like this before. They've never seen his countenance like this before. They've never seen him seeing before. And they say, how did this happen? What happened? And where's the person that healed you? And he says, I don't know, but this is incredible. I don't know everything, but I can tell you what God has done for me. And I don't know how long he had been sitting there. I don't know how long you've been sitting in your circumstances. I don't know if you feel like it was something you were born into and you're just so tired and so worn out and this feels so unfair. But I can tell you just like this man that sat in the street in Jerusalem that one day, it may not be here yet, but I believe that one day God wants to use your circumstances to point people to the Father, to put him on display. And the challenge with that for us many times, is that's just not enough. I mean, God, I'm struggling right now, but I want to see the end of this right here, right now. I want to see the reward to this right here, right now. God, I can endure this today because I know that sometime in the future, something good is gonna be in it for me on this earth. But God never promises that that would be the case. In fact, Jesus only says, listen, you can cast all your burden on me because I, I truly, I care for you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, but my yoke, my teachings, my purpose is to point everyone to the glory of God and to the Father, and I hope you're okay with that. You see, when we get to the place where we understand that the purpose of our lives and the the circumstances of our lives don't belong to us, whether they're good or bad, but they belong to God and their purpose was given to us so that we can reflect the glory of God. And when we understand that, we don't have to try so hard or, or wonder or worry so hard in our circumstances because they don't belong to me. They are God's. You know, I, I don't know how you feel watching the, the video ahead of time. I, I, love, I love walking through graveyards. Is that weird? I don't know where this comes from. My, my family, my mom and her siblings, when they were kids, my, the way my grandfather used to tell me the story, is like, well, we didn't have money to go out to eat or, or to go do fun things, so we would go to graveyards and we would play games. And, uh, and so the game was, and my mom has four siblings, the game was to go send the five children out into the wilderness and to say to them there in the cemetery, go find the oldest grave. And you know how this is as a parent. I mean, you're going to work this for a while. I found it. No, you didn't. There's one older. Keep going. we got another half hour. You know, just keep working this out a little bit. But I tell you, I've always had a fascination with this. And as we showed the, the pictures of the High Shoals waterfall here a little bit ago, my wife and I were struck by what we find there and the graves that we find there. And there's graves of people all over Northwest Atlanta filled with people who I believe had more on them than they could handle. I've, I've come to research some of these. I just get, I get fascinated by some of the names and, and the dates on there and, and how the time of someone's life. And I was researching about a, a family in Paulding County uh, over the last couple weeks. And there's a man who he and his wife were married in their early 20s. And by the time they were in their mid-30s, about roughly about the age of 35, uh, they had had at one point or another 11 children, okay? So this is before cable and before TV. And so, you know, nothing to do in Paulding County after about five o'clock today. So then, okay, never mind. The uh, so, so this family goes and up until that time, they, they had 11 kids throughout this time period. And, and tragically, just so you know, tragically, during that time period, four of these children passed away. So obviously at very, very young ages, I wonder if someone had walked up to this man and put their hand on his shoulder and said to him, God will not give you more than you can handle. I wonder what he would have said at one of the funerals of one of his children. And then around the age of 36, with seven children, this man's wife passes away suddenly. I wondered if you had walked up to him at the funeral home, at the service of his wife. I wonder if you would put your hand on his shoulder and said to him, listen, God will not give you more than you could handle. What would he say in response? And in a moment like that, and even thinking about it now, does it feel more like a lie than it does truth? I mean, who, who told us that? The scriptures are filled with people who were given more than they could handle. I think of Job. The way the story is told, you can picture Job as one of the wealthiest men of the ancient world. He was not only wealthy in his possessions, but he had seven sons and three daughters. He had a wonderful family. And if you read Job chapter 1 very carefully, you'll find a man who was constantly worried that something was going to happen to his children. And obviously, the enemy heard this, and, and the Story tells gives us a, a picture of, of the enemy Satan going before God and, and accusing Job. And Job's a good man and, and there's really nothing that from the outside looking in you can find fault. He's blameless and, and Satan says, Sure he's blameless, he's got everything he needs, so why don't you let me do this and this? And God in his sovereignty says, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to do this. And over the course of just what seems like a very short period of time, Job loses all of his possessions. And not only that, but all of his children die. And he's left sitting with a disease, with boils, painful, at the end of all of that, just adding insult to injury. And Job's friends, they don't walk up to him and put a hand on his shoulder and say, listen, God will not give you more than you can handle. Job's friends walked up to him and said, what did you do? I mean, seriously. And Job says, listen, I would really like to argue with God right now. I have some serious questions. Are you okay that this is in the Bible? Have you ever thought this? God, I have some serious questions about what you're up to right now. In fact, they're not just questions I'm mad and I'd like to argue with you about this. And the great thing about the book of Job is that Job gets that opportunity and God's good at any question, Even before Job gets the answers, even before he gets the opportunity to argue, even before all of that, just so you know what he's thinking, even with all the questions in his mind, even not understanding everything, in Job chapter 13, verse 15, he says this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. No matter what, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Why would God take everything away from this or any other man? Why would God give us more than we could handle? Jeremiah 17 gives us a little glimpse into this. It says, curse is the strong one who depends on mere humans, who thinks he can make it on muscle alone and sets God aside as dead weight. He's like a tumbleweed on the prairie out of touch with the good earth. He lives rootless and aimless in a land where nothing grows. But blessed is the man who trusts in me, God, with the woman who sticks with God. They're like trees replanted in Eden, putting down roots near the rivers, never worry through the hottest of summers, never dropping a leaf, serene and calm through droughts, bearing fresh fruit in every season. Listen, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. Listen, it's not God's desire that we would live on earth having it all together doing everything in our own strength. It's our desire that we would, it's his desire that we would learn to depend on him more and more and to depend on his strength and on his spirit because his spirit has been sent into the world to partner with us and teach us to put all of our hope and our trust in God in the good moments and the bad. And it's only in our reliance on him and not ourselves that we can truly be filled to be sent to discover and accomplish the things that God has created for us to do. Listen, there are seasons in life where the purpose of God is to give you more than you could ever handle on your own and cause you to be even more reliant on him. You see, to say that God will never give you more than you can handle is is just another way of saying, I don't need him. I can make it on my own. When, When someone comes up to you and says, listen, God's not gonna give you more than you can handle. You can say, Yes, he does. It's okay. I mean, you can say with full authority, he actually has, believe me, I can't handle this right now, but I can tell you this, he has never left my side. And in my weakest moments is when I have discovered that he truly is strong. And in my weakest moments is when I have discovered the grace and the mercy of a God who's promised to never be far from me. I think of... I think of Joseph. One other story from the scriptures: is a man who had more than he could handle. In the back of Genesis, the last 10, 15 chapters there, we find a man who was loved by his father. He's number 11 out of a family of 12 boys. And his dad loves him best. He just does. And so he heaps praise on him. And with that praise comes the ridicule of his brothers. And that ridicule has a very difficult turn when it moves from ridicule into actually selling him into slavery. It takes a dangerous turn. But God continues to work in Joseph's circumstance, and Joseph continues to to rely and trust on God with a spirit of obedience, and and he ends up working in the home of one of the most powerful men in Egypt, and everything's going well until once again he's framed for a, a crime that he didn't commit, falsely accused, and he's put in prison again. He's put in prison for a long time. Put there without ever a hope to get out. And then once again, God orchestrates circumstances to get Joseph not only out of prison, but to put him in a place where he would sit at the right hand as the number two of the Egyptian Pharaoh. No one in Egypt is more powerful than Joseph, and he's been chosen to lead during the one of the most difficult famines of the nation's history up to that point. And after a time, Joseph is actually reunited with his family, and he's reunited with his father who loved him so and Joseph who loved his father and, and then his father dies. And he's tr- he's, he has been kind to his brothers. He's treated them with justice and he's, been, he's set them up for success. But now that dad is gone, his brothers come to him and they say, listen, uh, what's next? I mean, what are you gonna do to us now after all that we've put you through? And Joseph answers this way in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. He says this, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I was at a conference in Atlanta over a month ago listening to a pastor speak, and he read this verse, and he was making a a completely different point, but this word, meant, stuck out to me. Because this is another one of those truths where I I feel like I've heard things said one way, but even on this particular day, God kind of highlighted this word, meant, and he said, I want you to see and understand this differently. How many times have you ever said the phrase or had it said to you, listen, no matter what you're going through, God will use it for good. It's a comforting thought, but it's just one word off. It's not what the verse says. What was meant for evil, God meant for good. I mean, underline that word meant, highlight it and just, just sit with it for a moment. That's what I've done over the last couple weeks thinking about this message today, just sitting with that word. Because I remember so many times in my life where I would say, I hope for everything that's within me that God is going to use this circumstance for good. But you see, to say that God is going to use something for good implies that he didn't see it coming. I mean, that's God sitting on the throne in heaven and saying, listen, wow, would you look at that? She lost her job. Well, I had no idea that was coming, but I'm, I'm the omega. I can move some pieces around. Oh, wow, he got cancer. I thought he was a pretty healthy guy. I, I really wish he didn't have to deal with that, but I'm, I'm the omega, so I can, I can just move this around and make sure that everything ends up all right. And the lie we end up With again, as the result of that, is God is just not as personally involved as we once thought. And listen, there's a divine mystery here in this verse that you cannot tie a neat bow on. God doesn't author sin. And he gives us freedom to make all kinds of choices. And this big blue green ball called Earth that we're spinning on is full of of devastation and disaster and pain. But there's nothing he didn't know about in advance because he's not just the Omega, he's the Alpha and the Omega. So whatever the enemy intends and means for your evil, God means it for good. I know those moments. I know it's hard to think about that moment of pain. It's hard for me to think about those moments of pain where I just said, God use this for good, and God saying, No, 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 I'm the Alpha Omega, I meant it for good. My purposes will be accomplished. My purposes are not to harm you. The enemy seeks to steal, to kill, and destroy, and means to hurt. But God means to give you hope and a future wherever you find yourself. And wherever you find yourself, God is there. At the end of a life of mockery and hardship and betrayal and pain, Joseph says, did you catch it? Do not be afraid for I am in God's place. I am friends with a God who has promised to not be far off. I am exactly where he meant for me to be. In Psalm 139, King David says, If I ascend into heaven, or if I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely this darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Listen to this. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. I don't care where you find yourself today. I don't know if you have something on you that you know is more than you can handle, <laughs> but I can promise you it's not more than God can handle. You may feel like you have strayed from the grace of God. Can I tell you something? He knew you would, and it doesn't change how he feels about you. Wherever you are today, as difficult and dark as it may be, God, saw it coming, and you are in his place. If you will stop trying to make this something you can handle on your own and surrender to his will, you will discover a God that is right there with you. You are in God's place today. Romans 11 tells us that if we could handle it all on our own, then we wouldn't need the grace of God. And the purpose of God, from time to time, there are seasons where the purpose of God is precisely to give you more than you could ever handle on your own and cause you to look up and be found by grace, by the grace of God that's greater, by the grace of God that's not afraid of that darkness, by the grace of God that has already got the victory, by the grace of God that is already stronger than all of your circumstances. And he gives it to us, John 1 tells us, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace and we need to surrender to that grace and not try to do it all on our own in the darkest night of the soul grace is there in the darkest nights grace will always find us the undeserved favor of God is greater than all of our circumstances it's greater than than all of our sins and it's available to us day after day after day And it may be only when you fail beyond what you are able to recover on your own that you understand it. It may be when you have sinned beyond your own ability to forgive even yourself that you understand grace. In the darkest moments, in the darkest places, the most overwhelming times, we find grace. It's like the sun peeking over the hillside on a spring morning. It's constant. It's present. It's ready for us to breathe it in it's only when you get stretched beyond your limits that you can truly understand the magnitude and the grace of God. And for some of you today, maybe it's been a long time, I want you to look up and discover the grace that wants to find you today and wants to be found by you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to know that no matter how dark your circumstance whether they be sin or whether they be tragedy, or no matter how far away you feel, the grace of God can find you there. You cannot stray away too far from this grace, from this God who's promised not to be far off. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray, and then I've asked Kendrick to sing a specific song this morning. I want this song to be a continuation of the message. So I want you just to sit there, and I want you to to read the lyrics, and I want you to breathe it in. I want you to breathe in the grace of God and understand that it is available to every single person in this room today. God, even now, would you help us to understand your grace in a way that we never have before? May we discover its strength. May we discover its power. May we discover how it wants to sustain us and partner with us every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Kendrick, would you sing?